Welcome to this week's Parsha Share uh, for Parsha's Kiseitse, sponsored by Aaron and Lillian Fuchs and Jason Fuchs in memory of Lillian's mother and Jason's grandmother, Sylvia Glatter, Zelda Baslea Eloya Sholem, whose yard site is on the 14th of Elul, her neshama should have an aliyah. We should all be zeichet sitchias hamesim. Parsha's Kiseitse is chock full of mitzvahs and fascinating um, instructions on how to live one's life. And of course, this was Moshe Rabbeinu instructing people who were about to embark on the conquest of Eretz Yisrael. They were going to go into battle and they were going to be in situations which were quite different from what they'd experienced in the previous 40 years. And we're going to start with Eishas Yifas Tohar, which is the first mitzvah in Parshas Kiseitze. And it's the story of a soldier who in the midst of battle comes across this beautiful woman, beautiful girl, and he wants to marry her. And the Torah restricts immediate marriage, saying it's not appropriate to marry in the midst of all the emotions that, that accompany a military situation. And on that basis, he would have to wait, have to allow her to cry, as it were, for her parents, for her family, to see her in a more vulnerable situation than in the midst of the battle. And then if after a month, and he's shaved off her hair, she's not quite as pretty, if after a month he still wants to marry her, then it would be appropriate to allow him to do so. That's the first mitzvah in Parashas Kiseitze. The Hine says, the Mikdash HaLevi, my grandfather's beautiful sefer, which we've been covering so much over these past few months, and each week offers us gems, beautiful divrei Torah, um, so pertinent to our lives and such beautiful instruction on the way that we should conduct ourselves, taken from the words of the Torah, taken from the words of the Parsha, which was written three and a half thousand years ago, and yet so, so relevant, made so relevant by Sefer Mikdash HaLevi. What do we see as the Psukim advance about the Eishas Yifas Torah? It says, If you don't want her, if you're not interested in her, so if you don't want her, you didn't desire her, um, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't mistreat her because you shouldn't treat her as a slave. You initially wanted to marry her, but you changed your mind. And the posuk continues um, so that uh, the fact is that you, you, you gave her a hard time. You brought her out of her natural environment. You turned her into kind of, I guess, a trophy bride that you wanted to marry. And now you've changed your mind. It's quite offensive, quite insulting. I mean, she might be quite happy, but the way you've treated her is not, certainly not ideal. What does it say in the first posuk? You desire her, the chofatsta boys, but you want her. Choshakta means you want her, but it's a stronger feeling. It's a desire. So why does it start off with the lotion of cheshek and end off with the lotion of chofet v'chofatstobo? So, or loy chofatsta in this situation, but there's a change of language here, which seems in the space of two very short psukim to be rather surprising. Says the Mikdash HaLevi, we know that the Vilna Gaon says very specifically, There's a difference 
There is a specific and very relevant difference between the language that is used when you use the word cheshek and when you use the word chefetz. What do the two mean? Hamila chefetz rutzoin v'tava legashmius. Do you know what it means when you say that you want something? Use the word chefetz, chefetz. What does it mean? It means if you are somebody who is who is a chofetz, you're somebody who wants something which is somewhat gashmius related. It is material. What does that mean? It is a spiritual. I've got a cheshek to learn Torah, to study Torah. Cheshek, that desire is something which describes a spiritual desire, not a material, physical desire. As we see in this posuk in Dvarim, This posuk which he quotes, and this is a, a a, um, an idea that is presented to us by the Grab, by the Vilnagon, that the word cheshek specifically refers to somebody who is seeking something which is of a spiritual nature. So listen carefully. The Posuk originally said, the choshaktova, with regard to the Eshes Yefas Toiha, this beautiful woman, this beautiful girl that you met in the midst of the battlefield or while you were on this military adventure, this woman is somebody, the choshaktova, that there is some type of spiritual reference here. And later on it says, You didn't want her, but that seems to be referring to some type of material desire, according to this differentiation that is created for us by the Vilnagon. So what exactly does it mean? But Says the Mikdash Alevi, I'm going to use this differentiation to explain the language change between these two psukim, but I'm going to create a slight difference, something a little bit alternative to perhaps what you might have thought the grommet. The Torah wishes to convey to us. If this soldier, this recruit to the army, says that he has a cheshek for this beautiful woman, he says, you know what, don't accuse me of having some type of physical desire to marry this woman. I have a deep spiritual connection with her. That's why I'm interested in her. That's what it says in the positive. Uh, uh, um, it's, it's totally appropriate that this should be the feeling that exists between a couple, a man and a woman. Why is it that you get together with someone from the other sex? It's not because you want to have some kind of physical relationship. Of course, that's a part of it. But your ultimate desire your she'ifa, as it were, your, your, uh, your, what you are intending in this union is something that rises above any type of material, physical attraction that may exist. The physical attraction is the glue, but the spiritual aspiration is the ultimate strategy. It's the ultimate purpose. Because you want to be mashlim, the tachlis habriah. It's not because you just have a, a physical attraction. That's not 
the reason for it, that may be the thing that brings you together, but ultimately there should be a cheshek that connects and binds a couple together. If that's the case, says the end of that pasuk, then you should take this woman to be your wife. If that is your desire, if that is your aspiration, if that is what you want out of a relationship with the person you've fallen in love with, of course, says the Torah, that is entirely appropriate. How is a person meant to know if that's the case? How is a person meant to really work out whether or not their relationship, the one, the relationship that they've formed with this other person is truly based on something which is spiritual, which is greater than the sum of your human parts, of your material parts, because it could be the other. How are you meant to know? For that reason, the Torah here is giving advice about Shidduchim. The Torah here is giving advice about the relationship between a man and his wife, between a woman and her husband. There is a very simple way, a simple experiment that you can conduct in order to work out what is the basis of this relationship. If the woman for a month long and of course, the man has this physical attraction to her. But if for a month long, she doesn't take care of herself. She's not going to put makeup on. She's not going to make herself physically attractive. And the relationship is going to be based on conversation. Do you remember that? Conversation. And it's going to be based on the fact that you're going to communicate with each other. You're going to get to know each other. There's going to be some basis of the relationship which is not purely on the exterior, on the way the person looks. That is something quite different. In that particular period of time, it could be that she's going to be mourning on the loss of her father and her mother. Those are the moments in life when you really get to know someone, when somebody is suffering from a terrible tragedy and now you are with them. Do you still want to be with them? Do you still want to take care of them? Do you still want to share your life with them? Is that the basis of the relationship or is it only whatever it is that you want? A selfish motivation based on exterior, on appearances only. Now, in this, in this particular case of the Isha Sifas Tor, she has to shave off her hair, she has to let her nails grow. In every normal circumstance, if it's purely based on physical appearance, of course that physical attraction is not going to exist if the person is miserable and is not looking at their best. Of course it makes perfect sense, and it works in both directions, because Shidduch advice is not just for men looking for women, it's for women looking for men. What is the foundation of your relationship? What is the foundation? What is it that you, you look for? But by the way, and that's what happens. You get to know somebody, you live with them, they're not looking at their best every second of the day or every day of the week, or every week of the month. And there will be times when the original, perhaps, the uh, first look that you had doesn't quite match up to the situation as it is currently. What is the foundation of your relationship? If that's the case, 
then at this point in time, this recruit, this man who fell in love on, you know, because there was this picture perfect girl that he met in the midst of this incredible battle situation. Um, now, initially he took her and he said, it says, the Pesach says, that at that point in time, after the month, now, you may have originally said, of course, my love for her is utterly spiritual. It's not based on any physical desires or any external appearances. Now, of course, that's what you tell everybody. When somebody claims to be in love, they will only cite the most aspirational reasons and the most um, elevated purposes to the relationship. They will tell you that this is the purest soul I've ever met. This is a true representation of the purest form of love between any man and woman. Is that really the case? Is that truly the case? Is that truly to do with the inner personality, with who this person really is? Or is that something that you just used as an excuse and you were fooling yourself? Maybe you just wanted her. You wanted the physical, the physical attraction was what drove you into this situation. You were interested in the physical attraction side of this relationship. And that's truly sinking to the lowest common denominator. That is not the type of aspiration that you should have in choosing a life partner, in staying with a life partner. A life partner is somebody with whom you have a deep personal relationship with, something that transcends any type of physical attraction, something which goes far beyond the initial attraction that you may have when you see them for the first time. If, it, if it's truly the case that it's that continues to exist between you and that person, and it's the personality of the person and the fact that together you make a great team to do the wonderful things that can be done in life and that's what attracted you to her. How wonderful, how special that relationship will be. If here the only thing that we find afterwards, after this month, of being together is actually, I'm not that attracted to her after all, because I've got, some, she's annoying. By the way, it works the other way as well. He's annoying. We don't have common ground. We don't have common aspirations. We don't have the same goals in life. We don't have this depth of feeling for making the world a better place and that our children should be the best that they can be. There was only a physical attraction and now that physical attraction is gone, it's no longer something that's workable over the long term. If that's the case, it says the Torah, of course, if that's the case, the relationship is going to collapse in and of itself. It's not going to be something that's going to, that's going to endure. Would have been much better had he not taken her in the first place. Because you know what's going to happen? Somebody who gets married and whose entire aspiration in life is only the physical, 
guess what? They're going to have children who will have similar types of um, characteristics and behavior. So you're just perpetuating a bad habit. You're perpetuating something negative. That's what's going to be the result. And of course, that's why the reason, that's the reason why the, not the next mitzvah, the mitzvah after that is the mitzvah of Ben Sorer That's why the the Pasuk uses this phrase, in the initial thought that you had, you believed that you had lofty aspirations together. Because that's what you've made yourself believe. You've talked yourself into a situation where you truly believe that that's the case, that what you want from this woman is something which is spiritual and lofty and special and wonderful. And of course, you're interested in creating this spiritual bond together, as God wants, so that you can be act as somebody together with God who can create this completion, this ultimate completion of the Bria of creation itself. However, suddenly you realize that what you said initially wasn't the case at all. Suddenly it's revealed that, you know what I really wanted? I didn't want what I thought I wanted. I wanted something entirely different. And I made myself believe that that's what I wanted, but that wasn't the case at all. If if the case is that I wanted her because I wanted to aspire to something greater than who I was, together with this person who was going to be my Ezer Kenegdoi, says the Pasuk, that's the right wife for you. But if it's if it's a woman who you do not want, you don't have any physical attraction to suddenly, well, you certainly don't have any spiritual attraction. Then the Atta Achashe his Navlo, Gamta Vosse, a Cholfa, Ovrala, the Ukvar Ein Lachofitzba. You know what? If you realize there's no spiritual connection, of course you're not going to be attracted to her, because the attraction will wear out, and then this relationship is doomed. Zois for Oid says the Mikta Shalevi, Nereshenitan Oid Lahosef. The Torah wants to teach us. So the, the Torah wants to teach you that even if you find that physically you may not be attracted to her in the best possible way, but you still have a cheshik for her. So when she goes through this period of time, it's not in the best situation, but you still have the cheshek, there is still a spiritual attachment. So the Torah also has this hint here. If if it is revealed that your intent was never a chafet's intent, in other words, you were correct in presuming that your, your attraction here was cheshek and it was loichafatzdaba. You didn't want to because you were physically attracted, but v'choshaktaba, then isha. Then it makes per- perfect sense because this relationship is bound to endure and bound to produce those aspirations which you anticipate because of your attraction, your spiritual attraction to this wonderful person. 
continues the Mikdash Alevi talking about the Ben Soira of Moira, this rebellious child who's a zoilel the soive, he's a, um, a glutton and a drunkard at a very young age. But the, the um, conditions which are required in order to turn him into a child that will be condemned to death as a result of his behavior are quite strict and impossible, as we're going to see. If somebody has a rebellious child, doesn't listen neither to his mother's voice or to his father's voice, whatever they try and do, he is totally and utterly rebellious and he is non-responsive to any attempts to get him to, onto the correct path. In a Moitzmanu B'Divir the Gemara in Sanhedrin, Daf Ayin Aleph Omad Aleph says very clearly, Shita al Pihot ben Seira Amoyer lehoyom ha'olam. There is one opinion in the Gemara then Sanhedrin which says it never occurred. There was never a rebellious child in the history of humanity. No such thing ever featured. Not only that, the Gemara predicts, quite a strong thing to say, there will never be ever in future a Ben Sora Amora. I don't know, the Gemara was written some 2,000 years ago, 1,800 years ago. Um, and since that time, there has never been a case of Ben Sora Amora. It's so predicted correctly, and we can say now as well. Whatever year we are now, we can say in the future, next year, in 10 years' time, in 50, 100, 1,000 years' time, there will never be a Ben Sora Amora. According to this opinion, the Gemara is quite a strong opinion, but there you go. The Gemara says there was never and will never be a Ben Sora Amora. Shekain ish zeyutochim b'metzius and explains the Gemara, how do we know that? Because of all the limudim and all the derivations that we have from the words of the psukim, we know that the conditions that which are required in order to establish a, a kid as being a ben Mura will never be met. Those conditions will never be met. And therefore it can never be put to death. So we know that this entire passage in the Torah which instructs us how to deal with the Ben Surah apparently, and this is the presumption here, is irrelevant because it never occurred and will never occur because the conditions are too difficult to meet. For example, the, both mother and the father and the mother have to be identical to each other, appear in appearance, they have to be like twins, they have to look like twins. That's, that's unlikely to happen. But coil of a coma, not just in their faces, but they have to be, their voice needs to be exactly the same. That means you wouldn't be able to tell the difference if you had your eyes closed as whether it was the father speaking or the mother speaking. Uvakoiman, their height has to be exactly the same. If the father's five foot ten, the mother has to be five foot ten. If the father's five foot six, the mother has to be five foot six. So those conditions are impossible to meet. It's never happened and will never happen. Hagmarim of Sham and the Gemara explains there in Sanhedrin. In which case, why include this passage in the Torah at all? Doesn't make much sense. So that we should learn this passage and just the study of Torah, Lishma, is sufficient reason for this passage to be included. Mikdash Halevi has a big problem with this, with this explanation as to why a passage about a mitzvah that can never happen should be included in the Torah. But Tzorich Bir and this needs to be explained. Matam yesh parsha shleima 
What possible explanation can there be for the Torah to include a completely superfluous passage in the Torah? It is irrelevant. It's never going to have any practical purpose or use whatsoever. It has never had any practical purpose. Because um, you could say, well, why include the carbonus? We're not bringing carbonus now. But of course, it, there was a time when there were carbonus being brought in the Beis Amikdash. So it was relevant then, even if it's not relevant now. Ben Surah never, Ben Surah Murrah never had a time when it was a relevant passage in the Torah. And that being the case, why include it at all? So the Gemara says, Eloch b'chdeish nidrashen on a kabel schar. What does that help you? You're really telling me that these few psukim were included so that at least people can learn it and they can get some schar from learning it? Why learn irrelevant material? The time that a person spends in order to work out all the details of this particular parsha, do you know what he could be doing? Do you know what he could be doing during that time? He could learn other things in the Torah. It's not as if there isn't sufficient material for, for learning. We're not searching for material to learn. There's plenty of material that he could be learning at that particular point in time. The Torah is very broad. There's great depth and breadth in the Torah. It's, it, there's, there's such depth and breadth and expanse of knowledge and information that you could learn in the Torah, that you don't need the Parsha Ben Surah Murrah just to pad it out so that we can get a bit of extra schar by learning this Parsha. There's absolutely no purpose for the inclusion of this irrelevant um, passage and therefore questions the Mikdash Alevi, why do we need to include it? And it makes no sense at all. It has no practical application and there's no reason to include it because there's plenty of other material that you could be studying during that period of time which does have practical application. The Nira Loi Mashabavadei Tochen Adovar so he comes out with a bit of a chiddish, but of course it makes perfect sense. He says, if you look at it, if we're entirely honest with ourselves, forget now that all the halachas relating to Ben Surah Amara, but if we look strictly at the condition, Ben Surah Amara, a rebellious child who refuses to obey anything that their parents tell them, of course there's been such children over the course of history. Maybe those children haven't been the children of parents who are identical in height, sound and appearance. But they have existed. In and of themselves that condition does exist. There are children who if we're looking for this, you know, do they check all the boxes with regard to being rebellious children? They do check those boxes. And we know for sure that in the present and in the future, there could very well be such children who are so rebellious that we would consider them Ben Surah if only their parents and all the other conditions were met with regard to, uh, to condemning them to death. In Omnam, Fish Omru Chazal. But the thing is, the Chazal told us, The only problem is, you're not allowed to kill them. In other words, there has never been an executable Ben Surah Amura. There's never been a Ben Surah Amura who can undergo capital punishment. 
It's a capital crime. There's people who've been guilty, there's children who've been, as it were, guilty of the sin that leads to capital punishment. But the conditions which are required in order to condemn them to death haven't existed. Those conditions cannot possibly be met. Nevertheless, and here's the Chiddush that Mikdash Alevi wants to tell us. It could be for, for all intents and purposes. There's no reason to learn the halachas of Ben Surah and Murrah. Because there never has been a Ben Surah and Murrah and there never will. But that doesn't mean that we can't learn from the situation as it's presented to us in the Torah. That there could exist such a child. Even if that child cannot be condemned to death, such a child could exist. And we need to know that this danger, this pitfall, this educational challenge does exist. We need to be prepared. We need to have the weapons, the educational weapons, the tools to deal with a child who defies their parents. To deal with a child who defies the norms that are required of them in order to emerge into adulthood. We need to know that such a thing exists. Not all children are perfect. Of course, besides for my children and your children, not all children are perfect. You know, my father, my late father, used to say it didn't really matter who he was talking to. He would say, besides for you and me, is there anyone normal in the world? And that's really the way we conduct ourselves in life, isn't it? We like to think that all the problems are elsewhere. And we're not always ready for the challenges that we are going to face. And the Torah wants to, to set down a marker. You're a parent. And you may think that there's terrible children out there. Oh, they're not so bad. And for sure, my children are perfect. The Torah wants to tell you. There could be a child, and it could be in any family. There could be a child who's a Bensera or Mera. There could be a child that is so rebellious that they cannot possibly fit into society. And they, are, they are, present a grave danger to their family, to their friends, to their community, and to the world. And we need to know that such a thing exists. And we need to prepare ourselves for it. Of course, in a perfect case scenario, you know, if somebody could have taken a gun and killed Hitler as a baby, you know, this is one of those philosophical conundrums that one is presented with. It's an ethical conundrum, a puzzle that you're presented with. If you knew that somebody was going to grow up to be Hitler and kill millions of people, and uh, they're now a baby, an innocent, as it were, baby, or a child just acting up or acting out. Could you take that gun and kill the child? So the Torah seems to be saying there's no such thing. There's never a situation where you can kill a child. Somebody has to have committed the crime in order for them to, to be punished. Can't punish the child. And, and here the Torah does it by way of creating impossible conditions to be met. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't be concerned for the child who is rebellious and could turn out to be evil and could turn out to be bad. Our duty as adults who have lived in societies to ensure that society is viable and society is only viable in as far as it has a next generation to take it to the next level, to the next stage, to the next period, so that they can be the parents that educate their children properly. 
That is the purpose of the Parsha Ben Sura Amora in our Parsha. That's what the Mikdash Alevi wants to tell us. Metzius Chinuchis. The Yigraim Lanu Lasis is a Nidrash, Bechte Sheloi Lahagia, Lamatsav Ogum Enze. We have to do everything we can, now that we know that such a possibility exists, to prevent it from happening. Kaloima. Kasha Gomorrah Malamedeski Parshas Ben Sura Merlo Nichtava Ela Bechte Le Deresh, the Dorish Alekabel Schar. When the, when the Gemara says that the only purpose of this parsha is so that we can learn it and receive benefits, schar, you might have thought that's a schar because we learned Torah. That's the way I explained it at the beginning. So the Mikdash Halevi changes it. It's nuanced, but it's so beautiful. The Gemara is not telling you that this passage is utterly superfluous and pointless. That's not what the Gemara means at all. Do you know what the Gemara is telling you? The Gemara is telling you that it's through looking at this parasha and being aware, being made aware, having awareness that such a possibility exists. That people can go that a child left to their own devices with that particular personality, allowed to do whatever they want, could develop into a child that is going to cause great harm and great damage in the future. And it is your responsibility as the parent, it is your responsibility as a community to do everything you can to educate that child, keep them on the straight and narrow to the extent that is possible within the framework of a system that you have created, an education that you give them that's going to keep them to what they need to be. That's the point. The schar that you're getting is as a result of learning the parsha ben soir You now know what education you need to give your children so that they behave in the best possible way. The schar is the education, the lessons that you've learnt in education to prevent such a thing from ever happening. As a result of studying Ben Sura Murrah, you'll get such a shock. You'll know such a thing can happen. You're going to do everything you can to make sure that the children who you come into contact with, that you can have a positive influence over, whether they're your own children, your family, your nieces, your nephews, whether they are children that you teach if you're in the teaching profession, whether you as a mentor, as, a, as somebody who's an older person in the community, can have in, in your relationship with the children who are part of your community, simply in the way that you behave and everything that you do, proactively or by example, can ensure a positive future for the Jewish people and for the world at large. If you look at this parsha, you can find a foundational or fundamental principle. We can find, we'll know exactly what it is that brings a child down to the lowest possible common denominator, the lowest level that a person, that a human being can be, literally not even above an animal. 
You know, we share 97 or whatever it is percent uh, DNA with chimpanzees. You can watch, if you want, you can watch documentaries about, about communities of chimpanzees and how they behave towards each other, and how they behave towards other animals. And you can see a lot of human characteristics. There's jealousy, there's aggression. There is um, uh, acquisitive uh, impulses, there's impulsive behavior, there's violence, there's murder, there's even cannibalism among chimpanzees. You can see all of these things and you think to yourself, of course, they're only animals. How would you expect an animal to behave? Are you trying to convince yourself that human beings can't sink to that lowest common denominator? It's possible. The Torah wants us to know that it's possible. We can sink ad ledyuto hatachtoina. There is that potential in every human, every human being. Mau oisa shoyresh peroish velano ashetrichim onu lesharish shoyla oikroi beterem yer meuchar midai. So what is it? What is the at the root, at the very heart, at the essence of this evil that lurks within us? Something which is the potential to do bad, of course, everybody knows my belief, my strong belief, and I advocate it all the time. Human beings are essentially good because we have this overriding power, the neshama, that drives us in the right direction. But if we leave it fallow, if we don't allow it to flourish, the animal within us can rise up. What is at the root? What is it that we need to treat? What do we need to watch out for to make sure that that doesn't happen? Shekane, the mamma had his darderus What is it? What is it the very beginning of the process that sees a child descend into this status of ben soira And the Torah tells us very clearly. The Omrel Zikne Iroi, the parents say to the elders of the city, they come at their wits' end. They don't know where, what they're going to do, where they're going to turn to. And they turn to the elders of the city. They're looking, they're seeking help. Our son is utterly rebellious. He's the worst that he can be. doesn't listen to anything we say. He's a glutton. And he's a drunkard. Kloima shoyresh ra'asoi. Do you know what the root is of his evil? Shalaben hasoira hamoira. Hinu bekach shehoyo zoyla besoyve. He just drinks whatever he wants whenever he wants. And he eats whatever he wants whenever he wants. There is no limitation. There's no discipline. I want it. That's what I want. And I want it now. He chases after his material desires, his physical impulses, without ever stopping to think, maybe that's not such a good idea. I want it and I want it now. My material desires completely trump anything else. They override any consideration that may hold me back and prevent me from going in that direction. Until they reach the lowest, they reach the gutter. They reach the bottom possible level of the human condition. Because at that point, there's no spiritual yearning. 
There's no, absolutely no aspiration besides for, I need to eat, I need to drink, I need to have what I want to have, and I need to have it now. That is the, and that's an animal. That's exactly how an animal feels, the emotions that an animal, and animals have emotions. They're hungry, they need to eat. They're not hungry, they don't eat. And if they're hungry all the time, they eat all the time. And if it means they need to kill something to eat it and kill it violently or not kill it and eat it while it's still alive, or if it means they need to drag it and schlep it away from somebody else or another animal because they want it and they need it more than the other person, there's no, there's no chesed involved. It's totally selfish and self-regarding. That is the diutach tachtoina that we're talking about, and that is hinted at in Ben Sora Umayra. It's not possible to be a spiritual person if you're in that situation, if that is your overriding characteristic. And it's just, you can't imagine what can, what can result from somebody who heads off in that direction. Mikan. And from this, and how appropriate it is that this parasha always appears at the beginning of Elul. How appropriate is it that we should consider our state of being, the state of the union, at this particular point in time, in, in anticipation of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, when we aim, hopefully, to improve ourselves so that we are not just a human being going about life making sure we have enough to eat and a place to sleep. But there's something more to us. There's a Musr here, a great ethical lesson. This is something that we need to take on board. We really need to take it on board properly. If we want to see Nachas, if we want to really um, find something positive, for the future, for the future generation, for the next generation. We want to derive pleasure from the way that they're growing, from the education that we're giving them. If we don't want the next generation, I'm speaking more generically now, not just individuals who have children, but generically, if we want to take care of the next generation so that we don't allow evil to thrive in our midst, do you know what we need to do? We need to emulate, we need to constantly project spiritual values, moral values, values which are not just about me making myself happy. Even at their very youngest age, not simply give in to all their material desires and allow them to have whatever they want. We must tell them that life requires sacrifice, requires aspiration, requires Hashem, requires acknowledging Hashem, saying thank you Hashem. Not just when we eat, we eat, but before we eat, we make a bracha. After we've finished eating, we say, That is something that we need to infuse into our children, into their day-to-day -day lives. It's so important to turn their lives into a spiritual faith lesson, not just about getting through the day and making them happy. That is the ultimate goal of what we as people who've been through life perhaps a bit more and are 
looking forward to a better generation ahead of us, at least the best that they can possibly be, then we have to give them over this chinuch, this education, which involves a she'ifa of ruchnius, of spirituality, of something which is spiritual. And this is an education which we need to begin giving them at the very youngest age. Even long before they have a chiyav in mitzvahs. You know, parents who say, it doesn't matter what the children eat when they're little. What difference does it make? But if you tell them, you know, the food you put in your mouth, it has to be something which Hashem wants you to eat. It's not just something which you're going to eat because you need to, or drink because you need to quench your thirst or satisfy your hunger. But there's something special. You need to make a bracha. You're having an apple. A child can be three years old. Say a bracha. And then it becomes ingrained in the child that before they do anything, not just eating, thank you, Hashem. Shekein kafishal amadnu, as we've learned in this parsha of Ben Sirah Meira. Ben Sirah Meira yochal his darde ad shaul tachdis oid b'terem meleol shloish esreishonim. A Ben Sirah Meira can sink into the worst possible rut of life, the lowest common denominator. Even before they've reached the age of bar mitzvah, they're still 12 and a half years old. They've not even reached the age where you would say, well, they don't need to do mitzvahs yet because they're not yet bar mitzvah. Only the age of bar mitzvah are we obligated in the mitzvahs. And yet, a ben surah, a murah, is at a younger age. We know it never happened. It's not important, but it teaches us the lesson that it can happen and we must prevent it from happening. In other words, what didn't happen is that there was a convicted Ben Surah Amura, who was put to death. But that doesn't mean that there's never been a case of a child who ended up in Tarbusra in the worst possible situation in terms of their life achievements and who they were as people because they weren't given the proper education to prevent it from happening. If we want to succeed in educating the next generation, we have to, at each stage of the way, do whatever it takes to make sure that our children appreciate that life is not simply about the material. Life is not simply about the physical pleasures that one can get from it. There are greater aspirations. There's kindness. There's goodness. There's thanking Hashem. There's spirituality. There's prayer. There's the helping that you can do for other people. There's so much that you can do which occasionally will eat into your own ability to make yourself happy because you're going to restrict yourself in order to achieve those objectives and yet they are worthwhile. That is a lesson that begins very early on in life. Bekat Nusom at the youngest possible age, before it's too late, until a point in time when it won't be possible to repair and make good. We'll leave it here for today. Thank you so much. Thank you.